Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with comedian and writer Tom Mayhew. Before we get to the conversation, I'd just like to play you a bit of this. It's my new song, A Lover or a Friend, which is only available to download and stream on Bandcamp. I've chosen Bandcamp because I feel they're the best streaming site, and they've also done a lot to help artists during the pandemic. Find more information about this song and the other projects that I'm working on at robertlanemusic.co.uk. Thank you. A lover or a friend Someone to tell your lies to now That the night has grown so cold A keepsake or a lens It makes no difference to you now That your heart has been I'm on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. Thank you. Hi Tom, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm all right as well, thanks. Here we are, start of March 2021, in these unprecedented times that must be precedented by now. So we're just, just carrying on, aren't we? I would happily never hear the word unprecedented <laughs> ever again. I'm so sick of it. Like It's on, on the list with new normal. Yeah, just stop <laughs> saying, think of a new word. Think of a... <laughs> I mean, as you say, it is precedented by now. We've done it for a year. Like, you don't wake up and go, what's going on? You're like, oh, this again. Yeah, I know. It's mad, isn't it? But something that is unique at the moment for you, I would imagine, is the fact that a couple of days after we're speaking and probably only a week or two after, a week or two when people are hearing this, a week or two before, you will have had a, a BBC show and everything. So how are you feeling ahead of that? I'm feeling nervous and excited at the same time um but i'm also at the moment feeling very impressed by that link you just did that was that was like proper radio presenter well, well done you know, i have a minute i haven't developed the voice you know that's what i'm going to work on i think if there's any more lockdown is getting a proper radio voice so that you say things like uh, well it's fine great if you were other <laughs> things going on that sort of giggle thing <laughs> that i do uh but, but yeah uh, yeah man i'm i'm kind of excited nervous and just a bit I mean, I'm going to completely go back at what I just said and say it's unprecedented for me to have a radio show. So I feel um, it's kind of swimming in unknown waters. I don't really know what's going to happen mm-hmm. or 
yeah, it's kind of very unknown. It's very strange. It's hard to know how to feel or what to expect. Um, but mainly I'm excited because it's a lovely opportunity. So Yeah, that's great. I mean, the thing is, excited because it's unusual and it's a, a great opportunity, as you say. And then you're nervous about it because it's important to you. You want it to go over well and go you wanted to have done as good a job as you can, but at the end of the day, as you say, it's just you don't get these opportunities that many times. Certainly not for it to be the first one. You might do it many more times, but it being the first one is so cool. Um, and I guess during that in-between bit, it's all recorded, I presume, and done, and it's there ready to go, and you're just waiting for people's reactions now. Yeah, it's all um, – we finished recording on on the – literally a couple of days ago on the Friday. I'd – I guess because, again, and I'm going to just keep saying it through this interview because now it's going to be funny, in these unprecedented times, uh, it's strange because usually when you finish your record, you'll have like, I mean, I presume, I don't know, it's my first record, but I think usually when you have that whole, it's a rap thing, you might mm-hmm. go out for a few drinks, you might have a little bit of a celebration or mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a party or, you know, you'd all meet up and go, how, how, what, we've done really well, thank you, thank you, and all that stuff, whereas this we were just like right we've done the final recording then i shut my laptop down and i was like oh nothing's nothing's happening there's no there's no fireworks in the background there's no music playing in the far distance like i just went with my dad and we got a takeaway (laughs) (laughs) it was very um very sort of unshowbiz but yeah it almost doesn't feel real until until it goes out I'm, i'm not going to believe it's real so and how did the recording work then was it all having to be done remotely or did you go to a place to do it all remotely we did it all literally we had one meeting about the show in february 2020 and then everything went to pot and since then all our meetings planning the show all our little writing sessions all our um you know kind of recordings all the previews it's all been over zoom um and we had to I had to go into the bbc because my internet's not great which hopefully it'll be all right today fingers crossed brilliant so far but I had to go into the BBC to record just to make sure the internet wouldn't cut out during the live record. Um, and But that's the only thing I've I've done that's different. And even that was me and my producer in a little meeting room recording it on a laptop in the BBC television centre, which was empty. And mm. honestly felt like a zombie apocalypse, sort of walking past these offices where there was about you know, you'd walk past like 500 empty seats in front of computers and you'd just be like, this is mad. This feels absolutely insane, that whole building. So I think we've all known that there have been whole buildings that are closed, but being in there and seeing it, it it just felt bizarre. It did feel like a a zombie apocalypse, really. Like, um, But yeah, that's the only time we've done anything. But even then, that was with a a virtual audience watching at home recording their audio through their laptops and all that stuff so which in itself you know it's kind of it's weird isn't it like you say it's your first experience of having a, a record for bbc and stuff and then it's so unprecedented and so unusual to be doing it in these 12 months so mm. okay would this project have happened and been broadcast sooner than had it not been for the pandemic you mentioned feb last year which is obviously just as things were going to pot as you said so mm. I'm guessing that delayed things and this is something that would have been happening months ago or not. No, no. Well, I think it actually, it's actually been brought forward because of the pandemic because like generally how, how it would work is you would sort of pitch an idea in February and then 
with all these things, there's so many hurdles to climb over and further pitches and further chats and all that stuff. So you sort of pitch it in February and then you hear back in about July whether they're going to make it. And then they originally said, we're going to put it out on air in I think April or May, but oh, they've, okay. they've brought it forward by a couple of months, um, which probably works out quite well for us. It's probably quite nice that um, it's going to go out while people are in lockdown because hopefully it means more people will listen to it. You know, I know it sounds massively cynical but i've i've lost all my gigs over the last year so i'm going to try and take whatever positive i can <laughs> no that's definitely fair enough perhaps you could give us a little bit of a kind of uh roundup then of of how you got to the position where you you're on this project what like my career history mm, yeah so sort of from the gig in and, and this show itself as well the history of this particular show because am i right in thinking this comes from a, a stand-up show or a one-man show yeah yeah well i i, I did an Edinburgh show in 2019 that was called i tom mayhew which is a reference to the ken loach film yeah. i daniel blake and um yeah that was kind of a show about my experiences of signing on in about 2010 when i, I left school and there were very very few jobs about it was kind of this weird period where people were sort of applying for jobs as a cleaner or receptionist and you'd be competing with 30 other people mm. so even jobs that should be like the starter jobs for people or not always because it can be your career and if so that's perfectly fine and legit but you know at 18 you'd usually be looking for a retail job or something like that but even those jobs were mad competitive and so it was really hard for people to even get those jobs so Mm. it's kind of about my experience of being unemployed and having to sign on and uh, the stigma and the demonization of people who have to sign on when like the reality is there's loads of people who don't have a job and it's got nothing to do with them. It's just because there was a recession or a pandemic or they they work under a greedy CEO who cares more about how much the person at the top earns or the person at the bottom, do you know? So it's kind of about those things. And we took it to Edinburgh in 2019. It did really well. It then uh, transferred to the Soho Theatre where it sold out the whole run. And we were quite... Again, we were quite lucky that that was in January because mm. if that had been in March, we would have probably had to pull the whole run. So it was, it's been a few points the past year where I've kind of felt like, okay, we've been slightly lucky. But also there's other times we've been unlucky, obviously. It's all about balancing it out. Um, but yeah, it did well in Soho Theatre. So then we pitched it to Radio 4 and they liked the idea and it's uh, yeah, it's going out very soon. Cool. And when you say we then, out of interest, who who is the we? Oh well, it's me and my uh, producer, my my Radio Four producer um, Benjamin Sutton, who he came to see it at Soho Theatre, and he just dropped me an email and said like, "Hi, I have worked with the BBC. I think this would work well." And uh, we kind of worked on the pitch together, and then we've worked on the whole process together in terms of planning the the structure of the show because we didn't want it to be just a direct version of the stand-up show on the radio we thought well it's on radio so that we should try and do more with it than you would do on a live show so we've tried to have little like sketches at the start and little interviews just to make it feel more like it's not just me going here's my stand-up show it's me going no here's my radio show it's different but also using a lot of the stand-up um so yeah he's the the guy who helped me put the pitch together and we've had so many zoom calls over the past year uh, it's probably sick of my face and my voice, I'll be honest, but hopefully it'll all be worth it when the show goes out. 
Which is really interesting then. So how many times have you and Ben actually been in a room together then in, in your lives? Uh, I think, well, there was, I guess technically he was in the room when I was performing, but I didn't know who he was. Yeah. Uh, there was the meeting at the BBC to plan the first initial 250 word pitch. And then there was the recording <laughs> literally <laughs> a year later to to perform the show in front of a, a virtual remote audience. So literally like three times. That's incredible. I mean, te- I guess technically too, like literally we, we met up in person to plan the initial pitch and then I saw him again to perform the show. And even that was only because I have really naff internet. Like if I had good internet, it would have been just one. But yeah, it's kind of, feels quite nice and how it's quite circle it kind of all comes around what's the word circular circuit i don't know what the word is but mm. cyclical that's the word it feels quite cyclical that the, we've had one meeting to pitch the show and then we met again to record it it's kind of mad that's great though and so you kind of touched on this but the experience of creating a show for radio and for audio as opposed to a live show then mm. is that one that you've enjoyed would it have been easier do you think with something that didn't exist already and creating something from scratch, or do you think that would have been even more difficult? No, I've quite, I've quite enjoyed it really. Cause I do listen to a lot of radio and I have listened to lots of radio over the years. Like when I was first getting into stand up comedy as a teenager, a lot of stuff I listened to would be either podcasts or, mm-hmm. or radio four or different sort of radio sitcoms or sketches so i've quite enjoyed going like oh man i've got my own one i'm doing my own little thing and i've quite liked that and also because literally i feel like our hand was forced a bit because we couldn't do a direct version of the stand-up show because it's a, a virtual audience which is kind of good it's really good but it's not quite the same i kind mm. of tell people it's a bit like um it's like a very, very good impression of a stand-up gig, but not quite the same. So that, that kind of forced our hand to go like, well, we don't want it just to be like a, a very, very good impression of a live show. We want it to be its own yeah. creation, its own being. So that made us think, okay, how can we make this some bit different, a bit special, a bit unique that represents these times and represents the current bizarre situation we find ourselves in? And I think we've done that. I think we've made it quite... Yeah, quite sound, quite different, which is important. I think I didn't want it just to be like, oh, here's Tommy Hughes radio show. And then, you know, 10 seconds later, it sounds like every other radio show. I feel like it's got its own feel, which I'm really happy about. Particularly, as I would assume, it's quite a personal story, that show as well. So you want to be you want to be presenting it in a way that feels feels right rather than it just being i guess everybody's stand-up show is personal to some degree but when it's a particular thing that's telling a story from your life as well and you've lived with this show apart from living the actual events of it but the show itself i guess you've lived with for quite a long time now yeah yeah it's um i mean yeah like it's it's kind of crazy when i feel like the first uh very early previews of this show would probably have been in 2018 uh, so that's a long time between first doing some of the material and then finally having this this kind of finished product. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it's kind of felt like it's uh, coming out at the right time. I, I especially feel like with you know, you know, the shows about being unemployed and being on benefits, and there's so many people who are going through that now because of uh, the, the pandemic. It, it does feel a bit like my show was about the recession and the awful times in 2010. And now it feels like literally we're, we're back in a bit of deja vu at the moment with redundancies and people struggling to find work. So it feels like it's the right time for people to hear it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just like, it's just the way it's worked out. It's kind of, kind of feels like it's worked out quite, quite well, really that it's coming out now because um, yeah, I, I don't know whether it would have been as relevant to people if it came out, this time last year so it's it's worked out all right i think hmm. and if we talk about the actual sort of technical side of writing it then first of all as a uh, a stand-up show mm-hmm. what's the kind of i like asking this on the podcast what's your ideal writing day or like what's the best situation for you that gets the best stuff out of you do you keep like writing hours office hours or do you write when inspiration strikes how does it work for you i would set aside some time to write but it's not uh, like, okay, I'll do solid six hours nonstop, don't leave the room, no one talk to me. It's kind of like uh, I'll give myself blocks to write and I'll be like, okay, we're going to write over the, over these next four hours, mm. but I'll kind of break it up a bit. So maybe because um, a lot of my writing is done at home, like even before the pandemic I would be writing at home because it's where I live and like literally when – when you're doing this as a job it's kind of yeah it kind of makes sense so I would break it up and I would be like okay we're going to write for half an hour and then I'll just keep writing and thinking of ideas and then when I've got like a really good idea that I'm happy with I'll be like that's amazing right let's take a break let's have a cup of tea let's maybe play a game of COD or a game of FIFA and then do that for like half an hour and then go back to writing so kind of you know do half an hour writing half an hour of a reward, half an hour mm. of writing, half an hour of a reward. And it just it just helps break it up. But then inevitably, even when I'm playing Call of Duty in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, I could write this down as an idea. Um, so probably the people I'm playing with Call of Duty are like, he's not focused at all. He's let us <laughs> down. But I'm like, yeah, but this is this is more important. So yeah, it, I think it helps my brain to make it not feel like, um, you know, if I sat down for eight hours, I can do it. And I have done that before when I'm doing writing work and stuff like that. But at home, I, I prefer it to be like a, a uh, you know, sort of a reward system. It kind mm-hmm. of helps motivate me a bit. And are you writing like all the time for different projects or do you write, you know, for a project? So if you have in the normal world, if you had a tour coming up, you're writing a show for that tour, or if you have a commission, you're writing for that, or is it just constant stuff all the time? And then, because I've you know I've spoken to people who do it in various ways, so you might just have projects that are bubbling along, bubbling along all the time. How does it work for you? I would say it is there. It is constant, but at the same time, the intensity goes up and down. Mm-hmm. So I always would be thinking of ideas and sort of topics and uh sort of little things i could write towards generally but then if you have a uh show coming up like i mean for example yeah in normal times if i was working on a new stand-up solo show i would maybe spend sort of 
three months and you'd have maybe like 10 minutes of material written over the three months. But then when it's the week before you do the first preview, suddenly you've got another half an hour because you're like, oh God, I put the deadline and the deadline forces you to really yeah. work and really structure and think of new things. So there is constantly like a turnover of ideas, but when there's a deadline, that's when it makes it kind of sharpens your mind and focuses your mind, which I think is something that's been quite difficult for a lot of comedians over the past year because we've not had that deadline. And it was like, it was really hard last March when we were like, okay, you can write material, but I might not be able to do it for six months. And so you do feel like, well, what's the point? Cause I don't, I don't know where we're going to be in six months. I don't know whether it'd be relevant in six months. I don't know whether people, yeah. So it's, it's been really tough without, places to sort of test it normally um but yeah generally i'll be to answer the question it's kind of like a general stream but it goes up and down in terms of how much comes out i'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point but i wondered if i could ask you if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast rating it and writing a review on your favorite podcast provider doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. And obviously, as you mentioned, that whole live world just hasn't been there for a year, nearly. Um, And I don't know what your thoughts are on when it it might likely come back. But have you found opportunities to do it in another way? So, you know, whether there's any online stuff or or whatever. Yeah, I've I've done it a fair few kind of zoom gigs and um you know youtube sort of streamed gigs those kind of ones uh and they're nice they're, perf- they're perfectly nice and some of them can feel really fun and i feel like they again it's it's that that phrase i would use where i say it's a very good impression of a stand-up gig so it still feels nice you still do get a bit of the buzz and the audience still have a nice time and it still feels really lovely like it you know and if that's what we have to do that's better than nothing it's absolutely better than not doing anything but you do it's mad how much you miss sitting on the train (laughs) like literally even though that's doing very little but you miss sitting on the train you miss you miss the overpriced alcohol drinks you you miss seeing your mates you i don't know it's it's just uh it's not quite the same but it's still you know it's good to have that as an alternative because it's part of me that thinks like we're quite lucky because if this, if we were born in the sixties or whatever, and this had happened when we were professionals in the eighties, like there would be no zoom gigs. I don't know what we would do. Would we do it over the phone to one? I don't know how it would work. Maybe phone, we'd phone yeah. someone up and yeah. Gags on the phone. That could be interesting, but you're right. I but, feel yeah. about that as well. Like just apart from work, just the communication side of it as well. So you'd be able to phone someone or write to them if you hadn't seen mm. them. But all the, you know, grandma talking to the baby on Zoom and all that stuff, stuff you just they just wouldn't have seen each other for a year probably in a lot of circumstances. And it, as you yeah. say, I love that thing you said, it's an impression. It obviously in no way is as good as being in the room with the person, but mm. it is so much better than not being able to see them or talk to them at all. Mm. It's interesting. Have you found with the streaming gig and the online stuff, is it a different audience? Do you think you've maybe 
communicated or reached some people who you might not have otherwise because i think we found that with some of the music gigs just the simple logistics of there's people watching in places you've never been to so they've obviously never seen you or there's people who don't go out to gigs or can't go out to gigs has there been a bit of that with that stuff as well 100 percent, 100 percent, and that's actually a really lovely side to it because i i did a a gig uh like at the start of february and then there was only like you know there was about 25 people watching but then of those 25 there was like one from canada one was from brazil i think there was one from morocco or something like that and it was just like that's mad these people would never see me live they might see a youtube clip but they wouldn't Mm. have that live you're in the room feel ever they would probably never see me live if i hadn't done that zoom gig so that's like a really nice nice experience and a nice uh way of finding different audiences and also like in terms of the radio 4 recording i felt like there could be more people who were in the audience who weren't a typical radio 4 audience because a typical radio 4 audience would be people who live in london who can get to the bbc studios very easily whereas doing it as a live streamed kind of gig meant there could be people who are from up north or from scotland or from all over the country so it it kind of made it feel like it was more accessible which is definitely a a uh, a positive of of zoom gigs yeah just coincidentally a few episodes ago on this i spoke to mark wilcox who's a technical producer for comedy and music um bbc so he was talking about how that virtual audience thing had developed Hmm. And from obviously the technical point of view, it's like, it's really great, but then you have to be careful because people go and make a cup of tea or answer the phone or whatever, <laughs> or they'll just be, oh, I can't stand him. He's not fucking funny. Like, so they're having to sort of edit all that stuff all the time. Yeah. But as you say, it's just so much better than, because what would the alternative be? Either pretend laughter or none, <laughs> I guess. So yeah. having those reactions is obviously so much, we know what it's like when you're watching something that's got no reaction at all. Mm. But I like what you're saying about it sort of opening up that world a little bit. Um, Something I wanted to ask you about, really, we hear so much and we experience it as well about the arts in general, but stand up music and certainly acting and the rest of it, because it's so hard um, to get a sort of to get anyone to pay you (laughs) a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. certainly when you're starting, having some sort of net below you whether it's financial or just support or just somewhere to live any of those things makes a big difference which i think is why it is easier for people who have that financial support than perhaps it is for for people who don't let's put it that way mm-hmm. now obviously that's your show touches on that but i'm wondering what your experiences of actually doing stand-up apart from that particular show has been for someone for some sort of that circumstance well my my first show I did in 2017. I did it when I was working uh, at Sainsbury's part-time. And to afford to take a show to the Edinburgh Fringe, I I put about like something mad, like 70% of my yearly income went wow. just on Edinburgh, just on that one month of the year. I had to save it up, put it aside, and it just went on one month, just trying to make this show a success. Um and it wasn't a success. It, it it did fine. I think there's some people who watched it who still follow my comedy now, but it wasn't when you're putting, you know, four four grand or six grand or whatever it was into your uh roll of the dice, you, you want it to 
at least do that and it, it didn't i lost about four grand and when you're uh when you're on a job that pays less than 10k a year it it kind of caused me to have a mental breakdown um i generally i had to take about a couple of weeks of work that year in october because my my, my brain was absolutely screwed I, I couldn't focus on anything i just felt like i i was wasting my whole life and i felt like i was never going to get anywhere um and literally like you know this this whole show that i did in 2019 uh I could only afford to take it to Edinburgh because my my girlfriend lent me the money. Like that's literally literally it. Um, you know, she's from a, a middle class background. She's got a you know a much better kind of uh, like her parents can support her a lot more if necessary. But also, she's got a much better uh, paid job than I was getting from my comedy <laughs> income at the time. And so she kind of, you know, lent me the money to afford to take it to Edinburgh. And then off the back of that, it got uh, a sellout West End run and the Radio 4 series. And in my head, I'm always like, right, so if I didn't have a middle-class girlfriend, I would just be that working-class comedian who still is part-time at Sainsbury's and this show wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist at all. And uh, that's a huge barrier in the arts. And it's it's a big problem because I don't feel like um there are it's getting better but i don't feel like there are enough people in the arts who are in it for the arts they're in it to make money and when that's the case it always means that someone who uh parents never went to university and has no contacts in the industry i'm always going to be playing catch up when i'm trying to keep up with alistair campbell's daughter or something like and she did a stand-up show when like she'd never been on the circuit and she did a big stand up show at one of the big venues with massive posters and you're thinking like mad that's that's mad because the outside looking in someone not in the industry must feel like oh she must be really good then because she's got the massive posters it's like no she's just got money that's that that that's it that's not to say she's awful not at all but you know what i mean it's it's the the perception from people looking in at the at the industry a lot of it is shaped by how much financial support an act has or an artist mm. has like yeah because that's i think that's the mad thing growing up you would want to always be the artist who has a number one single or a number one album or whatever you know you know to, you know if you were a musician yes what you'd want but then when you get into the industry you're like hold on okay they're not the best person they had just have the best resources behind them they have the best record label the best contacts the best sort of agent the best all of this stuff but it doesn't mean that they're the best singer or mm. the best musician because there's thousands of people who are as good at singing and as writing and they just don't have that uh that path they're not on the same road they don't have the same you know support network they don't have the same uh team behind them so um yeah, it's really, really interesting because mm. a lot of the time whenever people be like, oh, this person's doing really well. And I think as people who know the industries, whether it's music or comedy or acting, whatever it is, you could name 500 people who are as good as that person on telly. And you're like, it's always interesting why a certain person is the person to go massive and to mm. sort of reach the stars, you know? Mm. I'm interested then that decision. So 
was it the following year you had the the show that was okay but you lost some money on and then the show that's got the situation that you're in now were they a year apart or is it a bit longer than that what was, no um, i i took a year off i took a year off um i'm interested I, sorry i'm interested what the decision was like then having had quite a tricky time with the one show not the mm. one show, although I'm sure I'm sure that will come to uh, with, yeah. the, with the first show. Um, you know what I'm asking? Like, how how was that decision then to be like, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna do it again, and I guess be prepared that the same thing will happen, but we'll still do it anyway. Well, in a way, I think the the first failure kind of lit the fire. It kind of made me feel like, no, hold on, like this isn't right this isn't just so it made me think right I'm gonna write about my actual experiences of growing up and the fact that you know my, my background is someone who my, my parents did get like child benefit and I got the the highest amount of student uh loans and the the biggest grant back in that day and I sort of thought I'm gonna write about this I'm gonna actually make it a thing because it's not right that someone like me can be less successful just because I have less money. That's, that's not right at all. And it kind of, that lack of success in 2017 kind of went into me thinking what I wanted to write about in 2019. Um, so it's that thing where I think like no, no failure is actually a failure. It's just a step towards a success. That's what I kind of think of it as like, it's not, You've not failed. You've just, uh, it's just a step towards you being successful because there's so many cases where you feel like, oh, that's not gone well and I've, I've not succeeded or I've not, I've not achieved what I wanted to do. But then you never know who heard that mm. supposed failure because someone could have heard or someone could be a, like, someone could be a, a very simple example really is like someone could be at a gig where I feel like, oh, that gig, that gig didn't go very well. I'm not very happy with it. I feel like I've let myself down. I feel like it wasn't good enough and I feel like I've missed an opportunity. And then you wake up the next day and someone in, who was a reviewer gave it a four-star review. And then suddenly you're like, what? Because you never know how other people will perceive your supposed success or failures. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I try to not get too hung up on failures nowadays because it's just a step towards a success that's what i like to think yes and um therein lies another problem with the whole money thing doesn't it because i think successful careers in most things but certainly in in creative things it is a matter of doing things that fail if that's the way you want to put it or or don't mm. provide an income straight away or whatever but there's still something that you've learned from and there's still some links that you've made which is all mm. great as long as you can pay the rent and whatever mm. in the meantime and i know that there's so many people who are just like well i can't do that or also i want to have a life as well yeah, you know, yeah. i want i want to have a house and a dog and those sorts of things which i think oftentimes for people without a financial support network it can feel like whether it's true, I don't know, but it can feel like you have to choose between life things <laughs> and career no. things sometimes, which is such a shame because I think for everyone, but particularly writers, having a life is a very important part of writing yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. Nobody wants to just hear what someone who's just a musician thinks about anything. It's we want to <laughs> have life in this stuff as well. Yeah, I think it definitely, it definitely was a choice. It definitely was a real kind of me feeling like 
you know, I can literally remember when I was 20 being like, okay, the target is by the time you're 30, you want to be making money as a comedian and nothing else matters. Like I was like, if you're still living with your parents, that's fine. If you don't have a nice car, that's fine. If you, you know, don't have any massive in savings or whatever, that's fine. Like literally like what you want to do is just make it as a creative, just make it as an artist. And I had to go, right, I'm not even going to think about moving out. I'm not even going to think about renting my own place. I'm not even going to think about, you know, learning to drive. I'm not even going to think about so many things because I just thought, well, I've not got much, but I'm going to put it all in to try and make it in this industry because the reality is you can't half ask it. You can't try and go, well, I'll try a little bit and hope I succeed because then you're competing with people who are out mm. gigging five nights a week. And if you're just gigging one night a week, you're never going to keep up. You're never going to stand out unless you're incredibly lucky and you're one of those people who do like their third gig on Britain's Got Talent and they win it or whatever. But that's that's one in a million, you know, like the vast majority of people you're competing with, they can afford to gig five nights a week and they can afford to play all the festivals and they, they can afford to play uh, like five nights at the Brighton Fringe mm-hmm. and lose £300 just for the stage time and the experience, whereas you can't always afford that. So, um, yeah, I did feel like it was a proper choice that I had to uh, choose just doing comedy. That, that, that was it. Like, literally, even when I was... 20 i can remember sort of going like i don't care if i don't date anyone in my 20s i don't care if i'm on my own if i'm single like as long as i make it in comedy and that was it that was all i wanted to do and i think part of that is because it's i felt like that's all i could do that's all um like to make it it felt like you had to do that and it felt like i didn't have the option of a life outside of creativity because if you want to do it full time it kind of feels like you have to uh work your butt off and you can't have that life which is why there's so many like i think the vast majority of people in these industries kind of don't think about having a family until they're in their 30s at the very least because um you can't you spend your entire 20s trying to make it and trying to get somewhere and then uh you just hope you're a little bit stable when when you get to that age and then if you're not there's comedians who have their first children when they're in their 40s because they there's the whole life is chasing the dream, you know. What is that definition of success then? So you, I think you said like making it as a comedian or, you know, having uh, having comedy as your career. Mm. What is that thing? Because it's kind of, we all say stuff like that, but we don't necessarily know quite what we mean, I think. And we're not honest with ourselves about what would what would constitute us being happy in that sense. So what, does that word success or making it actually mean for you? Uh, I feel like there are two sides to my ambition and what I, I want to achieve. There is the uh, kind of the down to earth reality and the kind of, I suppose, someone might call it humbleness of coming Mm. from my background where 
like my mum worked at Boots and my dad worked in warehouses and stuff. So there's that side of my background where I'm like, mate, if I could earn 10 grand a year doing something I love, then I'm very lucky and I'm actually doing far better than so many people because so many people earn that money doing the job they hate. So mm-hmm. I'm like, if I could earn that doing the job I love, then that's success. That's me having made it. That's me kind of happy and comfortable. There's also the other part of my brain that's like, I want to earn 100 grand a year. I want to earn a ridiculous amount. I want to be able to buy my parents their house. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's the big lifelong dream of something I always want to do. I want to be like, I want to earn enough from a company that I can buy my parents their house so they don't have to live in a council house. They can own it. You know, that's always the big success goal. But then the small success goal is just, if this you know, I can call this my job, but that would be amazing. And I'm in a very weird situation because like between uh, August 2019 and March 2020, it kind of was my job. And then suddenly overnight, it wasn't my job. And I was felt like I was back to being unemployed again. And it's been a very strange scenario because I've, I've kind of, uh, you know, been working on a Radio 4 series while I've been signing on. And that's that's mad. That doesn't make any sense. In a non-pandemic world, that would never happen. Mm. And so it's kind of crazy to kind of uh, have those two realities side by side where, you know, I had to say to my <laughs> my my job centre advisor in February, I had to say, oh, yeah, I've got a job. I've got this uh, BBC... I told her it was a BBC writing job because I didn't want to, didn't want her to listen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I had to be like, yeah, I've got this BBC writing job in 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 March, and so I'm not going to have to sign on anymore. But like, yeah, it's very weird. I have no idea what the next six months is is going to hold because in normal times you'd have a a Radio Four series, you'd have maybe a tour off the back of that, you'd have a successful Edinburgh run, you'd you'd have all these things. Whereas now. I don't know because mm. there's no gigs. There's no gigs going on. I don't know if Edinburgh Finch is going to happen. And I don't know if we're going to be back gigging in June. And even if we are, it's still going to be socially distanced. And I don't know how long that's going to go on for. So it's uh, it feels both like the best time and the worst time to have an opportunity like this. But then I think in the arts, you're always going to tell yourself that like, it's the best and the worst opportunity because... Uh, we always want more, but we always appreciate what we've got. Mm. It's unprecedented, I think. <laughs> it is unprecedented. Honestly, the amount of people who have albums or Edinburgh shows with that in the title is going to be insane. <laughs> but it's that definitely. I can recognise so much of that in in like my own thing as well. Because like, okay, we locked down back in March. That's a few months of we're going to have to cancel some shows and postpone. It's a shame. I don't know. Twelve months later, and it's not just this year. It's the fact that, as you say, we don't actually like. How crazy is it to be in March and not know if you're going to go to Edinburgh this year? Because mm-hmm. because normally you're well, you know, everything's kind of booked at least now, isn't it? And you're probably in the full yeah. throes of getting that It's like, well, how if it does happen? How is it going to? How are you going to get things together? And then for like some eye gigs and stuff i'm thinking well it'd be really nice if gigs and festivals start up this summer but i ain't gonna have a slot because they're gonna have to put on everybody who didn't play mm. last year yeah and then they're gonna have to whoever's straight because some people will be straight off the ball the second that there's any glimmer they'll be there booking the shows and stuff and mm-hmm. i'm sort of haven't because it's like well i don't want to book a run of gigs and then the one in the middle's in some local lockdown or whatever 
you know what I mean? And also the fact of asking people to come out and see you when you're not 100% sure mm-hmm. what the circumstances are going to be. So it's yeah. like, yeah, shows might start again, but I don't know when my shows will start again. It's a weird feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Like I, oh, it's that weird thing where literally in, you know, May last year, I was like, okay, I'm going to mentally write this year off and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But then to have the feeling that we might have to do that again for another year is a bit terrifying. Um, and I don't, no, like I'm, I'm not even thinking about shows at the moment. I'm not letting myself get excited because you see a few people, and I'm sure we will see it on our Twitter or our Facebook feeds. People going like, "I booked my first gig in May," and I'm, I'm not letting myself do that at the moment. Or if I do book a gig, I'm not going to post about it because I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't. Yeah. I think people are uh, silly if they're going to trust that it's all going to go to plan, considering how well it's gone over the past year. Like, you know what I mean? We've, yeah, yeah, yeah. This time last year, we had the Prime Minister saying, we're going to beat this in 12 weeks. So why now this year are we like, oh, well, he said it's going to be fine by June. So it probably is. I'm like, no, have you not learned anything from literally last year? Like, I'm, I'm not letting myself uh, get excited or look forward to gigs until it feels like everyone's safe. Mm-hmm. It, it, I just, yeah, I don't really. Uh... I think we're hopeful. Yeah, but it's, it's the yeah, idea of, of putting things hope, on yeah. on it. Like we only have to look at Christmas, really, don't we? Like mm. <laughs> they might say yeah. stuff that they can't, you know, necessarily do. Um, okay, Tom, that's been so fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. I think when that's this right. goes out, the show would have already happened, but it will, I imagine, be on the whole. It's BBC Sounds, isn't it? The BBC catch-up thing I yeah guess. yeah just just type uh tom mayhew into bbc sounds or there'll be links all over my twitter on my facebook i'm sure i'm gonna you'll be... mention it a little bit i'm sure yeah yeah i think yeah <laughs> there's just the thing where i might mention it once once uh once uh once an hour probably <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool that the bbc are doing that i don't know if it's part of a are they out looking for new stuff the whole time i guess maybe they are i don't know or is yeah it just well they're always trying to um you know get new people in and get new talent on the air because i think they're very uh they're actually the bbc radio team department they're very good at promoting and looking for both diversity and for looking for new and exciting voices they're actually really good at that which is amazing because there's so many you can often, you know, look at things on telly and feel like it's not massively diverse for like comedy panel shows or you know, it's probably the same in music shows and stuff like that. But the uh, BBC radio people are actually very good and very on it, which is, uh, I mean, I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you know, we need new stuff all the time, and it's a weird thing for me. I find at the moment with stuff that like technology means that everybody can make their own things and put them out and you don't need the gatekeepers and you don't need the networks and all that sort of stuff but then Mm. obviously you're competing with everybody else in the world that's doing that and i don't Mm. know about in your career but for me it's this sort of it's a terrible thing really like legitimacy so Mm -hmm. having having your song played on all so you know all these wonderfully supportive internet radio stations is fantastic but a, a bbc radio playoff one of those djs is like you know that's um, our mutual friend Minnie Birch puts it really well. She says there's some things that she gets which are great, and then there'll be the other things she gets which she can tell her granddad oh, yeah. this has happened, and he gets it right. And it's it's like that, isn't it? A stand-up show, a comedy show on BBC Radio Four 
everyone gets that and what <laughs> what that means. Yeah, so, well, this this was a big thing because I, you know, I was kind of I was picked this week for like uh, pick of the day on on the day the show goes out in the Radio Times, and like my grandparents buy the Radio Times, um, so that was massive for, for me to be able to to show them and it also got a nice review in the daily mail which they also read and <laughs> i was like that's that's mad because i did not think you would get a good review in the daily mail but um there we are uh, but that was nice for because for them for it to be like here's that thing you you've bought for decades and look there's me in it and they say nice things about me that was a uh, that's kind of bigger than anything i've ever done in in their eyes because yeah. they can see it it's like a real physical thing whereas if i had if I had four million hits on a YouTube video, that wouldn't mean anything to them. They'd have no idea what that means. So, um, yeah, it's it's nice to get those little things, I think. Yeah. Great. Okay, Tom, thank you. Remind us where people can keep up with you and the best way of getting in touch. I think Twitter's like your kind of home, is it? Or... Yeah, Twitter's my favourite one. I'm, I'm Tom Mayhew on Twitter. And then there's a little link tree on there where you can find my Instagram and my Facebook and my YouTube and all my other little places but twitter's the uh my favorite fantastic and uh i say when people listen to this the show will have gone out and i'm sure been a big success and perhaps we'll catch up again at some point with a kind of reflection on what it was like afterwards yeah that'd be lovely that'd be very nice thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that join us next time on the robert lane creative careers podcast until then please subscribe rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects i'm working thank you goodbye